This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 is so important because it is the tie between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And how does that tie begin? It begins with a genealogy. Now many of you are in the practice of skipping over genealogies when you see a list of names. But that list of names has a purpose. That list of names teaches us much. Let's take a moment to give credit where credit is due. It says here in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Right there is the punchline, that Jesus is the Messiah. He was descended from David and from Abraham. Then here come the names. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abiha. Abiha, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shethiel. Shethiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Let us pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank You for every word written in the Bible because it has a meaning, it has a purpose. The Bible is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching and correction and, and uh, reproof and training in righteousness. And we thank You for Your Word. Speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Some people are really into genealogies. I mean, they are studying the records, looking up the dates and the names of family members and tracking and coming up with, you know, large volumes with pride, looking back at how they are descendants of, of uh, the original um, Americans, the Native Americans, or maybe they go back to Britain, or they have a record that goes way back, and they are so proud. Now, when they are talking about their genealogy, they're going to emphasize the best parts. You know, I am related to Paul Revere, or uh, someone in our church found out he's related to Vincent Van Gogh. That's Del Reimer is related to Vincent Van Gogh. No, no wonder he's the incredible artist that he is. We're proud of you, Dell. Well, now, the Smiths had a problem. They were proud of their family tradition, and their ancestors had come to America on the Mayflower, and they had included senators and Wall Street wizards, and they decided to compile a family history, a legacy for their children and their grandchildren, and they hired a fine author. Only one problem arose. How do you handle that great Uncle George who was executed in the electric chair? The author said he could handle that story tactfully. So the book, the book appeared and it said, Great Uncle George occupied a chair of applied electronics <laughs> at an important government institution was attached to his position by the strongest of ties, and his death came as a great shock. <laughs> so what people try to do is they try to uh, make their genealogies as uh, gussied up and as nice-smelling as possible. This is not what Matthew did. When he picked the names of those that were in relation to Jesus, he was doing a tell-all. And we're going to get to that in a moment. But first of all, can anyone read the Greek here? You know, when you go to seminary, you learn to read the Bible in its original languages, which of course would be Hebrew and Aramaic and Koine Greek for the New Testament. So I'm going to read Koine Greek for you. Biblos uh, genereos isu Christu wio David wio Abram. So that's what that says. Now, in the English, we have what it says. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, <clears throat> the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is so important when you think of the first book of the New Testament, that it is giving the credentials 
of Jesus as being the Messiah. Now, the name Jesus means the Lord is salvation. The Lord saves. And the title Christ is not his last name. It's a title. So his name is not Jesus H. Christ. His name is Jesus, and his title is Christ, which means anointed one. It means Messiah. The word Messiah means anointed one. So right out of the get-go, Matthew is laying it out. This is Jesus. He is the Messiah, and he has the lineage that the Messiah must have. He is a descendant of the famous King David, and he goes all the way back to Father Abraham, the starter of our faith. That's how solid this is. Now, there are two genealogies in the Gospels, one in Matthew 1, which we're going to look at today, and one in Luke chapter 3. And they're very, very different. Luke's genealogy moves backward from Jesus all the way to Adam to show he is not only the son of God, but he's the son of man. And Matthew's genealogy moves forward from Abraham to Joseph to show that Jesus has Jewish roots that are very solid and legitimate. So Matthew traces the genealogy of Joseph while Luke traces the genealogy of Mary. Matthew traces the royal genealogy and uh, the legal genealogy because Joseph was not Jesus' physical father. He was his legal father. So as his legal father, Joseph's heritage applies to Jesus. The interesting thing is that Mary has a lineage that also traces back to David. So Jesus is qualified as Messiah on both sides, legally from Joseph and physically all the way back through Mary to King David. He is the Messiah. He has the credentials. Now, I get very excited now when I think about a genealogy. Why? Because it proves the Messiahship of Jesus. It shows his pedigree. He's got the credentials. But the genealogy of Christ also points to the sovereignty of God. And the older I get in the faith, the more deeply I appreciate the sovereignty of God. What is the sovereignty of God? Is that God is a God of detail and of perfect timing. When you think about God, that he does not overlook the slightest detail and that he works everything out according to his perfect timing, does that not inspire in your heart complete trust in him? The more you think of the sovereignty of God, the more you trust God because he's in control. He knows what he's doing. He's going to carry out his purposes. He's working all things for good in your life. Do you know that? God is sovereign. Details and timing are his. God always keeps his word. That's what a genealogy shows. He promised the Messiah. The prophets prophesied of the Messiah coming and being a descendant of David. And sure enough, that's what God provided. The genealogy of Christ shows us that salvation is also for the Gentiles. Because we're going to see that Gentiles are included in the family tree of Jesus. 
And the genealogy shows us the tremendous humility of Christ. Jesus said in John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And in Matthew 28, 20, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In many ways, Christmas is about humility. Jesus being fully God, humbling himself to become fully human, yet fully God, so that he could represent us, perfectly fulfill all the requirements of the law, and give his sinless, righteous life on the cross for our sins, so that we could be forgiven and we can receive his righteousness to our lives. That's humility. Now here's where we get into interesting things. First thing about the genealogy of Jesus that stands out from Matthew is that women are in Jesus' family tree. You need to know that in the first century, women did not have a place. A religious Jewish man would pray every day, I'm glad I'm not a woman or a Gentile, and then he would spit. That's how low women were held in esteem in that day. Women were not allowed to be given to give a testimony in a court of law. Their word was discounted, disrespected, and they were marginalized and put down. But Matthew mentions not one, not two, not three. He mentions five women in his genealogy. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Uriah's wife, which is a reference to Bathsheba, and Mary. That's profound. That's revolutionary. And there's a reason and purpose behind it, as you will see. Secondly, if women being mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus isn't shocking enough, Gentile women are in Jesus' family tree. So Matthew names four Gentile women. You have Tamar, who is a Canaanite, Rahab, who was a Canaanite, Ruth, who was a Moabite, and even though Bathsheba was born a, an Israelite, she married a Hittite and was legally a Hittite. So there are four Gentile women mentioned in Jesus' family tree. Again, what does this mean? It's pointing to the fact that the faith, the gospel, the good news of forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus Christ is for all people. At first, God worked with a chosen people, and he said to Abraham, from you, all people will be blessed. And what he meant is, from the seed of Abraham, from the descendant of Abraham, the Messiah would come, and he would be Savior of the world. And all who trust in Jesus are happy. They are blessed. That's what it talks about. So right here, you have a precursor of what's to come, a gospel for all peoples. And there are questionable women in Jesus' family tree. 
when um, Matthew brings up these names, frankly, it's embarrassing. Why is this embarrassing? Because he's being brutally honest about the history of the line. Tamar, was um, her first husband was so evil, God put him to death. And um, imagine being married to such a, a man that evil. And so she was left childless. And back there then, the rule of the day was you marry the brother of the deceased man so that he might carry on the line of his brother. But her husband's brother didn't want to carry on the line, and, um, and God put him to death. So left widowed again, she's desperate for security and posterity. And in that day, a woman would just be left to die if she didn't have care and coverage. So Tamar was desperate. She dressed as a temple prostitute, and she put herself in the path where she knew her father-in-law, Judah, would come by. And um, she knew Judah was such a lowlife that he would easily be seduced. And um, she knew she needed evidence of their liaison so um, she would not be killed once her pregnancy was discovered. So she asked him for his seal and his staff, and her plan worked. Because when she gave birth to twins, fathered by her father-in-law, Perez and Tamar, um, excuse me, Perez and the other name, um, thank you, Perez became part of Jesus' family tree. Judah wanted her killed. He wanted her stoned because she was pregnant. And then he says, well, the man who made me pregnant, this is his seal and the staff. Oh, forget about it. Let's put that under the rug. So this is a history that's not too pleasant. It's kind of like the electric chair in Jesus' family tree. And Matthew's pointing it out. And if that's not bad enough, he says, well, then there's Rahab. Who was Rahab? Well, Rahab was running a brothel in Jericho when the advanced party of two million invading Israelites came to her town and to her inn. And she had heard about how God was giving them victory over their enemies, and she knew the city of Jericho was next to be defeated, and she wanted in on this faith, on this God. And so she hid these two spies, and then she sent them by another way so they escaped. And she asked them, would you promise me that when you defeat Jericho, that my family and I would be saved. And she was. And she married a Jewish man. And she fully became part of the faith and was part of the lineage of Christ. And then Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. And uh, that meant she traced her ancestry not to Abraham, but to his nephew Lot. And Lot was not a great guy. He impregnated his daughters while drunk. And uh, this is all stuff 
we'd rather not talk about at the family table meal. We want to keep it secret. We don't want to tell all. We don't want this embarrassing news being made known. But then he comes to the wife of Uriah. And why does he call her the wife of Uriah? Is it because he's slamming Bathsheba, who was the wife of Uriah the Hittite? No. He's slamming David, the greatest king of Israel. He's saying he slept with her. King David was up on the roof. He saw a woman bathing. He said, who's that? Oh, that's the wife, Bathsheba, the wife of, of Uriah the, the Hittite, who's one of your mighty men. Well, get her up here. And he had an affair with her, and she got pregnant. He tried to cover it up by bringing Uriah home from the front lines, and, and Uriah did not go into his own house. How can I do that when my comrades are on the front lines? I can't do that. So then he ordered that Uriah be put on the fiercest part of the battle and that the troops pull back so Uriah would be killed. And then he marries Bathsheba, and the baby dies. But eventually, she has Solomon, and from Solomon, it continues the family line from which the Messiah would be. Now, at this point, you should be squirming. You should be thinking, now wait a second. How is that a way to start the New Testament? How is that a way to start you know, this introduction of the Messiah. Well, this is a different kind of Messiah than they expect. This is not the Messiah who comes in on a white horse and he stomps on everybody. This is a humble Messiah who comes to bear the shame of his family. He came to die for the sins of of the outsiders and the outlaws and the scoundrels and the sinners represented by his family line. He entered the world. He entered into the messiness of the human family, even his own family, to take upon himself the shame of every person in the family tree. Jesus came to save both victim and perpetrator, sinner and sinned against. No one gets into God's family by being born into it. You must be reborn into it. So what does this mean? It shows that people who are excluded by culture, excluded by respectable society, and even excluded by the law of God can be brought into Jesus' family. There's no sinner, there's no scoundrel beyond the reach of of the grace of God. That's what this means. What does it mean? It means that it's not the good people who are in and the bad people who are out. Everyone is in only by the grace of Jesus Christ. And it's only what Jesus has done for you that can give you standing before God. It's not something we do. It's something that was done for us. Jesus died on the cross. He gave his sinless life for our sinful lives. And we are even given the faith to believe and we are gloriously saved by his amazing grace. Now, why is this 
a very apropos introduction by Matthew. You see, Matthew has a past. He has a background that he could easily want to cover up. And he tells a little bit about it. In Matthew 9.9, he says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. That was me. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. You see, Matthew stayed at his station, the tax booth, on a major highway. And the way tax collectors worked back then, the Jewish tax collectors were hired by the Romans. The Romans said, pay us all the taxes for this quarter up front. Then collect it from your fellow Jews. We don't care how much you get from them. Go ahead and get the money. And so the Jewish tax collectors were enemies of their fellow Jews because they betrayed their Jews. They worked with the Romans. and They were collecting taxes for the Romans. And then on top of it, they would hike up the amount of taxes that were needed because they were greedy. And they'd say, yes, instead of 10%, that's 15% that the Romans want this year. Come on, come on, cough it up. And any caravan, any person that come by on that major highway, Matthew would uh, give them the sting. He was greedy, he was powerful, and he was a meticulous keeper of records. But when Jesus said, follow me, something happened. He realized this money means nothing. And he left it all behind. But before he left it behind, he threw a big party. Now, Levi was his name before he trusted in Christ. After he trusted in Christ, either Jesus or himself renamed himself Matthew, which means gift of God. And uh, Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And he invited a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were eating with them. But the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to the followers of Jesus and said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And they probably spit at that moment. The, the, the scum of the world, the scum of the earth. Why are you hanging out with them? It's going to contaminate you. You're going to get cooties. And Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Why did Matthew begin with this genealogy that shows the grace of God that reaches and includes all kinds of people into the family tree of the Lord, it's because he was included into the family tree of the Lord. He became part of the people of God by humbling himself of his self-righteousness and trusting in Jesus Christ for his true righteousness. He repented. He did a 180 from greed to godliness because of the call of Jesus. Jesus is calling all of us to trust in him and not in ourselves, ourselves for our salvation. And when we do, guess what? We become part of God's family. It says in Hebrews chapter 2, 11 to 13, so now Jesus and the ones he makes holy 
have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. He also said, I will put my trust in him. That is, I and the children God has given me. You are a brother or sister to Christ, and God is your heavenly Father. Through faith, by grace, you are forgiven. Another person who learned this lesson was Paul, and he said, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. In other words, if Jesus can save me, He can save anybody. So humility is recognizing your need of Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Have you ever been sick, seriously sick, but refused to go to the doctor? How many of us have allowed pride to prevent us from the remedy we need? When we humble ourselves and recognize we need a spiritual doctor, and that's Jesus, he heals us, he forgives us, and he grows us in holiness and wholeness from the inside out. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.